in the Klingon criminal justice system, the Klingons are represented by two separate yet equally important groups, the crew of the Enterprise who investigate crime and Otto von Trapp who prosecutes the offenders. These are their stories. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on this bridge. Hey everybody, and welcome back to part two of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. The crew's had a terrible dinner, seen too much Pepto-Bismol, and learned that the on-ship inventory system is in critical need of an upgrade. Will the evidence stack up too high? Let's find out. So, the next thing we get to see is the Klingon justice system. This is so cool. All right, first things first. I love the fact that the crew of the Enterprise is watching this on the Klingon Court TV. <laughs> yes. And it's got it's even got the little the little runner bar at the <laughs> bottom. Oh my god, that was so good. I I did not think that was funny the first time I saw it. Now I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so let's see. We start off, they're translating what's going on for the guys. They've got little earpieces up. And who do we see? Who do we see? Uh, uh, General Clar? Claw. Or not Clar. Not General. Uh, uh, Claw. Captain Claw. Captain Claw. Is the translator. Has, now, has been demoted to a translator. Right. Well, you know, that's what he gets for trying to hunt down the uh, Enterprise. I did think from a, from a movie perspective, this transition was fantastic. It yes. came in really hardcore. They're speaking Klingon. They've got all the, the noise and the lights and everything. The guys are standing there in the spotlight listening and the translation's going and then seamlessly they switch to English. So good. I thought it was done so well. One thing that I read was the beginning, the beginning of, now I haven't seen this. So I'm taking, I'm taking somebody's word for it. Uh, the beginning in Klingon and showing the translators and then switching over to, um, to English. That was a cinematic device that was used in Trial at Nuremberg, as well as the sequence in which um, Chang screams at Kirk, don't wait for the translation, answer me now. That's actually taken from Trial at Nuremberg, which Shatner was actually oh. in. No kidding. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch the movie again now because it's been, I mean, a long time since I've seen that movie. But well, I, I did was not know it. I didn't know that. I also, I also do love in this scene, they ask McCoy a question. He makes a joke and there's only one person in the entire room laughing. And that person's laughing hysterically. That made me so happy. (laughs) I laughed out loud when that was going on. (laughs) Man, I have been there. Right. And you know that all the Klingons around him are like, oh, damn it, Carl. (laughs) We told you you could come, but you had to be quiet. (laughs) You had to be cool, man. The whole thing though is being kind of is kind of scary because you're being tried by Druid Santa Claus up there in the. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's got to freak you out a little bit. Um, I I did love the fact that uh, um, they they started he he starts really just berating them and, and talking them through it and then out of the shadows who shows up Colonel Worf, <laughs> attorney at law. <laughs> so I let's, love the law. So obviously this is Michael Dorn in a different Klingon uh, makeup than what he was wearing in, uh, in, in next gen. He is uh, Worf's maternal grandfather. Yes. Uh, 
paternal. Paternal. Father really? father of Moog. Oh, really? Oh, I thought he was maternal. It's not canon, right? It's just that's kind of where they were kind of going with it. So sure. By the way, works. Yeah, he's it's his grandpa. Now, uh apparently um Nicholas Meyer did not actually tell Michael Dorn that he was written into the movie. He walked over to the TNG set and he waited for a scene to finish. And he said, Hey, I wrote something for you in Star Trek six. You want to do it? And then Dorn was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Michael Dorn has the distinction of being the only Star Trek uh, actor to do both the, the actual cast members, obviously not the, the guest stars. (laughs) Um, He is the only one of the main cast to make, a crossover of a TOS and TNG. Um, if we don't talk about generations, cause that doesn't really count. <laughs> cause that's not actually either one of them. It's right in the middle in the ribbon. Anyway, what I was really impressed with was when uh, Chang deposes McCoy and he starts going on about the drink and, in, and, uh, and ask him, Hey, do your handshake? And McCoy says, I was nervous. It's like, no, you are incompetent. Now I've seen Leonard McCoy now across three TV series and five movies. And I cannot imagine the amount of willpower it took for Leonard McCoy, not to just tear into him at that point. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, he, the, the fact that he actually just kind of sat there and took that, that was impressive. I, <laughs> I will say that this kind of goes back again to the fact that this guy's a diplomat though. The fact that rather than um, go after him for anything else, he went the liability angle and was like, (laughs) are you, you had no right to be operating on this man. Like, okay, hold up. This is an emergency situation. This guy's trying to save his life. And you're like, you didn't know what you were doing. You're incompetent. And it's like, is he, is there a civil suit where like the insurance company is also suing McCoy? Is, like, well, this, this is how they actually screwed him because they put him into a criminal defense uh, 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 trial, a criminal trial. And Colonel Worf was actually a civil attorney. There you go. So, I mean, when he got there, basically he, he was ready to see exactly, you know, how much damage was done to your ship, you know, and, and it's like murder, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here representing Klingon Geico. Was your has your family been dishonored? <laughs> General Chang uh, also tells Kirk that his favorite author is Shakespeare. Um, he was I will say, in a picture for the for the jury, that he really knew this guy. I, there's no jury. There's just a guy with a big sparky <laughs> ball. All right, so I will say that after all is said and done, though, Chang actually has a very good case. <laughs> Like if you listen yeah. to his argument, he sounds pretty on point and you're like, well, no, that tracks. <laughs> uh, well, well, you proved to the galaxy that James D. Kirk is kind of a jerk. Congratulations. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I did like how the judge uh, closed the case. I think that the American justice system could benefit from having all gavels be giant sparky balls with a claw. <laughs> Hey, make it entertaining, right? So, of course, they're found guilty, and as lenients for the fact that they uh, they that they didn't really prove that they were the ones who did it, they're not going to die. We're going to send them to Rurapente. Oh, yes, in 
in the interest of the upcoming peace talks, the sentence is commuted. Not bad. <laughs> now we go into, I call okay. it the investigation montage. <laughs> <laughs> now this is, this is going to be the point where we put something in Canon that had been long non-canon, which is the fact that Spock is a descendant of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And so that well, his his mom was, so of course he was. So that was something that was had been rumored for a long time. This is the first time it actually sets that into Conan into canon. Okay. I I've never heard this before. Is this serious? Yeah, uh, uh long before this, it it had been in different Star Trek novels and everything, it had been theorized that uh Amanda, long descendant of, of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and therefore so was Spock. Okay. Yeah. I, I did write that down. However improbable is uh, that Spock is related to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay. I thought I was being funny about that. I didn't realize that was actually canon. (laughs) That's pretty good. So, uh, but yeah, we, we kind of go into kind of an Adam West Batman investigation here. We just start saying things and then drawing conclusions. Why would you just assume that a bird of prey can fire while cloaked? You've never seen this before. This is never been a thing before and you just decide that's probably what happened may i remind you of something this is the same man who said what's that noise oh it's whale song (laughs) i know i'm in space but it's whales trust me (laughs) the original script was supposed to set up the attack of a colony in which carol marcus dies and she tells jim we saw the we we saw the torpedoes, but we never saw the ship, and that was supposed to kind of begin the process of us figuring out what's actually going on here. Also, why do we assume it was Klingons? Why wouldn't we assume it was the Romulans? Well, and why wouldn't we assume it's any number of species that have something to gain from this? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, the Breen, the Cardassians. I mean, right. So, what do we need to find? And I love that Kim Cattrall looks at him and is like, oh, I, I know the answer. I know the answer. Two gravity boots. She Which Seriously, means? she had the look of Hermione Granger. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this all, this for me was kind of a weak point in the movie where we just decide we've kind, we, we've kind of solved the crime somewhat. It was <laughs> yeah, but it sets us up for some really good stuff. <laughs> Okay, now we switch over to Ruripente. Ruripente. So Ruripente uh, was filmed on a soundstage in uh, LA, I believe. Yes. However, all the exterior scenes where they're out in the ice was actually filmed on a glacier in Canada. In, in Canada, in, in Alaska. In Alaska. Woo! Go Alaska. Kanik Glacier. Oh, oh, I didn't know it was Chugach. Chugak, Chugak State Park. Okay, all right. I thought it was on the other side. So, yeah, is that still there? And you know what? Not sure. Mm. I a lot of them. I mean, one of the easy ones to see Portage isn't there anymore. It's pretty weird. Um, but Ruripente, growing up in Interior, Alaska, the the scene of them walking through a Ruripente to get to the thing. Yeah, that kind of. Kind of reminded me of home a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad, hey, finally a movie found a way to do the creature cantina scene in a different way. 
Okay. I thought the same thing as they were walking through that, that prison. That's all I could think is this is the cantina scene. Yeah. For yeah, Star Trek. We just, we just decided that we're going to do it a different way. They tried to, you know, really horrible in Star Trek three. They tried to creature cantina mm-hmm. when McCoy went in there. This actually like, Hey, we've actually, we wanted to show you all these aliens and all these masks and all this great makeup. And they found a way other than a bar to do that. I have to admit, I was watching the entire time to see if they were going to reuse any TNG masks. I, I got to be honest, I didn't see any. I yeah, I would say that actually, it was a unique collection of of like mask and makeup effects on this. I, it was very very, uh, as you said, I I don't because even at first I thought, oh the the uh, the guy that lifts up lifts up uh, Kirk is a Nos again, but he, it's not. There's no. clear differences. Yeah, no, it, it was, everybody was, was very unique. It was kind of interesting. Um, I, I did like that. Uh, oh, the commander of the prison is William Shepard, who is a great character actor. Oh, yes, um, yes. He also is one of the few people who was on Doctor Who and Star Trek. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yep. Um, I just love that guy. I love his, his gruff uh attitude and just the it's yeah, it's all those things as soon as you hear his voice when he because when he came out there and started speaking as soon as you hear his voice you know exactly who he is to right the makeup although that is one of the worst makeup jobs that i've seen in star trek it was pretty bad <laughs> he just he, he looked like he was wearing latex <laughs> which i mean he probably was um and then for some reason, to keep warm, you got to smoke a stogie because uh, Martia, the alien, walks up and, and gives him a stogie and says, here, this will keep you warm. Uh, Martia is played by Iman, who is a... I mean, if you show up at, a, at the, the alien's graveyard and the first person you meet is Iman, right? that's kind of a mixed thing, you know? Right? Like, uh, well... Good day, uh, bad day type thing, you know? Exactly. Now... <laughs> Iman is from, uh, oh gosh, I totally forgot where Iman was from. I know her as a fashion model and the wife of David Bowie. Yes. Uh, Oh, that's right. Iman is a Somali fashion model. um, And she she also is credited as an actress, entrepreneur, and producer. So she basically parlayed her acting career or her modeling career into an acting career. Uh, fun fact about Iman. Um, I've found pictures on the internet. She has not aged in 40 years. <laughs> she looks just as good now as she did back then. It is impressive. Like I'm talking in just her face. Like you can see the exact same face and I'm very jealous that I have not had that same experience. <laughs> I know my old face is in there somewhere when I look at my, you know, look at my current face. <laughs> well, if somewhere I pull my ears back really tight, sometimes <laughs> I can see what it used to look like. Um, all right. So that's, that's Ruripente. Um, we, we got a little glimpse into that. Um, then we head back over to the enterprise and they're searching around in the dirtiest, nastiest Starfleet location I've ever seen. The kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if you saw this, but I, I was looking at the set because, of course, I was totally set focused at this point. And they dirtied that room up so much 
to make it look like everything was just beat to hell and overused. <laughs> and it was great. I was really enjoying it. Cause I'm like, nobody's in a clean kitchen, right? Every kitchen in, in, or any professional kitchen looks like it's just been beat to hell. So I thought it was really good. So um, why do they have a kitchen? That was the other thing. Why do they have a kitchen? Cause <laughs> they've already talked about the fact they have replicators um, even the old series, they would walk up to a door and go, uh, chicken and it would give them chicken. So I'm going to throw out a theory here at this point in Jim's career, his primary, uh, uh, duty is diplomatic. And so rather than just replicate food, they would actually, you know, as, as a part of diplomatic functions and, uh, ambassadorial functions, they would actually have like real chefs and real cooking that, Xeno chefs who would know how to, uh, you know, make food for, I don't know, Mexicans, Romulans. So that could work. Just, Although, judging by this scene, all they have on board is chicken and mashed potatoes. Because <laughs> they had chickens all over the place and a big giant pot of mashed potatoes. Uh, which leads us to our next scene where they're standing there having a conversation about trying to find the missing gravity boots. For some reason, they're standing in the kitchen to have this conversation. <laughs> and Chekhov says, why not vaporize them? And so uh, Valerius goes over, grabs a gun, and shoots a pot of mashed potatoes. Is this, is this girl a drama queen or what? Right? <laughs> now, I got to say, I've made a lot of mashed potatoes in my time. <laughs> I might even say I'm pretty good at it. I have never made mashed potatoes so good or so thick that if you vaporize the pan, they would stand <laughs> and the whisk that they were being mixed with would stand in them. Well, that's at first I thought, oh, well, it's dough, but it's like, but you don't use a whisk in dough. Nope. That is straight up mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> But and, the and, 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 no, wait, 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 wait. And she doesn't even say you can't, but she says you can't fire a phaser on a ship, unauthorized phaser on the ship. That's what she says. We know mm -hmm. that's not the case. They needed to rewrite that line because that's going to make no sense in about 20 minutes. 20 minutes, nothing. It doesn't make any sense with anything ever in the entire franchise. It's like an alarm has never gone off just because somebody fired a phaser on board. There have been times where alarms have gone off up in the bridge and they're like, Hey, I just noticed somebody fired a phaser <laughs> and everybody's like, Oh, we should probably go down and check that out. Okay, cool. And this they're like klaxons going off and everything. Like that's never happened before. So I'm going to throw out another theory. It's like the, uh, the, on the old enterprise from the original series, it's kind of like you can't find the smoke detector that's beeping. So you just mm -hmm. unplug all of them. That's a good point. That, that, that seems very, that's... that seems Kirk and Scotty right there. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we're a thousand light years from base. <laughs> Who's going to be looking at if we have the phaser detectors going? Oh, around? that thing. Yeah. I turned that off. You <laughs> need the batteries for the remote. <laughs> so, they, so now we go back to Rorapente. And we jump right into Kirk is getting the crap beat out of him by a big giant blue guy. All right. First off, I love this makeup. Yes. I, I honestly, I think it's just a lighting trick. I don't think it's actually like CGI overlay or anything, 
but it's so cool. Like, yeah, just they so, did a really good job on this one. Right. Um, so he's all red and blue and everything. Kirk and he are rolling around fighting, whatever. And Kirk decides to kick him in the knees. And when he does, the guy starts moaning, his eyes turn black, his face starts <laughs> glowing really bright. And, uh, and, uh, Martia tells him not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place. <laughs> and his immediate line back is anything you want to tell me, dude. All right. This trope I love from alien nation. There is a fight scene in alien nation where he walks up to this big giant visitor and kicks him square between the legs. And the guy looks at him and laughs and then Mandy Patinkin, dressed as an alien, walks up next to him. And he's like, no, 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 like this. And goes, boom, right under his arms. And the guy goes down like a sack of bricks. And ever since seeing that, I've always had that in my head. Like, uh, you know, it's it, not everybody has their parts in the same place. And, you know, everybody's got a, a different button. And this scene makes me so happy because of that. So later in the evening, uh, Kirk and, and Bones are going to lay down to go to sleep, and uh, uh, Amartya and shows up. Oh. Speaking of old Star Trek tropes, yeah, Kirk's gonna sleep his way out of this situation, right? She comes up. What's the first thing she does? Oh, hey, I know I'm only like 24, but you're really <laughs> hot for a 60, 70 year old man. And she crawls all over him and gives him a big old kiss to tell him that how to get out of jail. I would do and, anything to see your space during the spaceship like <laughs> yours. And then Bones is like, what is it with you anyway? <laughs> Such a great line. <laughs> Still think we're done for more than ever. <laughs> so we head over to the Excelsior and we got to wake up Captain uh, Sulu. And who is it that's going to wake up Captain Sulu? Well, it's a shadowy figure whose voice is completely unrecognizable. Who could it possibly be? <gasps> it's Christian Slater. Or also known as the son of the casting director of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, reportedly, he uh, was uh, paid $750 for the work, um, which he never cast the check and he has it framed in his home. Yeah. He's a, he's a pretty big Star Trek nerd from what I know. Yeah. I've heard interviews with him before where he said that it was one of the highlights of his life that he actually got to go do that. Because he and, is such a big nerd. And did you hear the line that he gives? Which one? Oh, I, uh, the the uniform he was wearing, the uniform pants were from uh, Shatner's from Star Trek Two. Are they really? So he he makes a joke about the fact that he got he got into Shatner's pants. I got into Captain Kirk's pants. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I love that uh, that while talking to him, uh, Captain Sulu is like, "Hey, kid." Go light a Starfleet for me. Uh, sir, you have problems here, mister. <laughs> so we go back to our investigation montage. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Where they're all trying on wacky hats. <laughs> no, no, it's even better. <laughs> we know there's blood. So, or we found blood on the transport pad. So we know that the clothes they were wearing must have blood on them. So now we're going to investigate all the laundry on the ship. <laughs> Okay, first off, we know they have a ship's laundry because they pull out all this dirty laundry and start scanning it. <laughs> but does that not also mean that they have 
a ship's laundry that washes clothes. Are you telling me that in the 23rd century, they can't get blood out of a uniform? So uh, nobody out to the Martinizing department. <laughs> and that guy squeals on everybody. <laughs> like, seriously, they couldn't have just washed it. No, no, no. They must have hit it somewhere. Um, I again taking some huge Adam West leaps of logic. Oh. So to your point about everybody wearing wacky hats, some of the scanning devices that they used in this montage were fantastic. <laughs> There's one scene where a guy's going down a hallway and he's got a big plastic hat that I swear to God was from back to the future too. And he's got a, uh, a metal detector. That's also got a big giant plastic hat. <laughs> Just like, what is he even looking I the, for? I love the metal detector. <laughs> I'm sure there's a uniform around here somewhere. Right. Bob, Bob, you don't need to use the uniform detector. No, no, I'm going to use the uniform. detector. No. Bob, we know where the uniforms are. Nope. Nope. I'm going to use the uniform detector. There's, there's no removable plates in this hallway, Bob. Why are you scanning the floor? Uh, well, you never know. Oh, so good. I look it at the end of the day, it's stupid because it's it's sci-fi, right? But it's so much fun. I love the investigation montage. So um <laughs> so uh we flash back to Rurapente. They're gonna try to escape, so they gotta get on an elevator to go down to the work site they get on the elevator and they're like and bones is like i knew we got double crossed and this big giant guy says hello doctor i'm right here <laughs> and of course now, it's martia who's a shapeshifter now this is something again for our younger viewer younger listeners this is one of the first uses of the morphine software that i mean we see it all the time now but yep. this, I think, other than Michael Jackson's black or white video, this was only the real second large, um, you know, format usage of this particular type of software. So it was relatively new and pretty cool special effect at the time. All right. Well, we're not there yet, but yeah. November 11th of 1991. So it is the same software. Yeah, oh, just within a month. Yeah. So um, they get on the elevator. Uh, she's like, no, 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 it's me. They don't take girls. That's, I that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> so then they start heading down in the elevator and we switch back to uh, the investigation montage again. They have found a set of gravity boots in a locker. And the name on the, on the uh, locker says Dax. So they go find crewman Dax, which I was kind of let down. It's not crewman Dax. Or it's not uh, Lieutenant Dax, excuse me. No, somebody put up the timeline that Dax would have st would have been Curzon at this time, but I thought yeah. I, I, I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure. I thought Curzon didn't come around until a little bit after this, but uh, but even so, um, we there was an episode where they showed all the previous uh, Dax hosts, and, and Curzon this or this there. dude was definitely not one of them. <laughs> However, if whoever wrote that episode was really doing their homework, that would have been an excellent drop. <laughs> um, well, we did find out that Dax is pretty much like Bob. Right. As far Everybody's as the galaxy. Dax. Every third person's name is Dax. Jadzia Dax. Okay. Yeah. But what's your real name? <laughs> okay. Fine. That works on a hotel register. But I really need to know <laughs> what your real name is. 
So uh, here's the thing that I don't get. They find the boot and they call in Dax so that they can interrogate him. And everybody, nobody looks up like, you know, the guy, it looks like, looks the guy up in the database or anything to find out who he is. No, we all hang out in his quarters and wait for him to come back. Well, I don't think it was even that. I think they actually assembled in like a conference room and everybody's there. Like there's all these random crewmen. <laughs> there's, there's senior staff members and Chekhov is like, I'm going to call you out in front of everyone. And as soon as he walks in, he's like, put this boot on Cinderella. And he drops it down. And the guy's like, and clearly he's got like 30 toes and giant feet and doesn't wear shoes. And I, I just love Spock being like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed for you. <laughs> it was yeah, that, that was, and I didn't really even notice it until watching it this time, but yeah, it just seemed like a real odd thing that we're all just going to hang out in this room and wait for you to show up so we can bust you. Well, it's not the last time that that's going to happen. It happens <laughs> later too. Um, so then it's time to escape. So we're back on Rurapente. They are marching down a little hallway that they're supposed to be going to do something. And there's a bunch of Klingon guards like, what are you doing? Oh, say I'm not here. I see it. <laughs> and then the shapeshifter slips out of the, the shackles. By turning into a tiny blonde girl. Yeah. Human she, girl. I, I believe it was Newt from Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got to admit, I was reminded of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> they're like you know so you could have done that at any time no only when it was funny <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah they they actually also tried to uh during the kirk trial mm -hmm. they tried to bring back john laura couch's malts did they really to, uh, to oh recount, that would have uh, been fun but uh they felt it didn't really add anything and uh and uh, laura cat wasn't available at the time so they just scrapped it that's fair Okay, so let's see. The shapeshifter gets out of the handcuffs. They go through a door that just happens to be open. Um, and they head out onto a glacier in Alaska. And it's cold. Um, now, now, here's here's the part. Because we find out that Jim Kirk's escape plan all hinged on him never changing clothes. Yes. <laughs> so I will admit... Um, I, I should have probably mentioned this earlier. This time I did notice when they were standing in court that Jim had a piece of Velcro on his back that didn't quite match up with the rest of his uniform. And then he talks to, uh, to bones and he's like, Oh no, no, no. I got a tracker on my back that Spock put there. And see, I noticed the, I noticed the scene just before Kirk leaves the enterprise he tells he tells Jim, I'm gonna go and and because I'm responsible for getting to this. And Jim says, Well, you'll be responsible for getting me out of this. And Spock says, Perhaps you're right. And while he's saying perhaps you're right, he's his hand is doing a weird thing on Jim's shoulder. Now, the only reason I thought it odd is that in Star Trek II, when Dr. McCoy says, You can't go in there when Spock's gonna try to storm in and save the ship. He's like, you'll be dead in a moment, blah, blah, blah. And Spock says, perhaps you're right. And McCoy turns around and he does a neck pinch on him. So perhaps you're right is kind of uh, Spock's tell that he's doing something underhanded to you. Right. 
like they're playing cards and they're like spock do you have the cards perhaps you're right, you're right. <laughs> all right i'm all in <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this, um, this all came down one change of clothes would have screwed up this entire rescue plan but you know oh yeah absolutely but they they knew that the klingons weren't going to let him change clothes so there you go <laughs> so they uh so we switch back to the enterprise but this time we're not in the the montage anymore we're on the bridge again and basically they're on their way to Rurapente to go try to bail out or to get not bail out but help uh Kirk and Bones escape so they end up talking to a listening post a Klingon listening post. And this might be my favorite Uhura moment ever. She hated this. Did she really? Yeah. Her question was, why would Uhura, a linguist, need books? That's fair. To look this up. She was very, very unhappy with that. Yeah, but it's comedy gold. True. (laughs) I thought it was a little bit odd that they just had a bunch of paper books laying around. <laughs> right. They, they've got the entire, well, maybe it was a gift. Maybe it was a diplomatic <laughs> gift. They were given the entire, you know, uh, uh, encyclopedia Klingonica. I don't know. It's well, going to be something. That, this, I, I'm thinking now looking at the Enterprise D bridge and they have those panels along the side. And I always thought those were loaded up with isolinear <laughs> chips, but those are actually bookshelves. Books. So that's what it is. <laughs> My only issue with this is okay, so they're they're talking to the listening post and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and they're speaking really stunted Klingon. All I can think is the guys in this listening post are real dumb. Like, I mean, they're in a they're in a listening post. They're not exactly the cream of the crop in the Klingon military. But and remember, it's a listening post, not a viewing post. So the only way that they can identify ships going by them mm-hmm. is asking them and listening for their answer right <laughs> and well, i listening posts that can't tell the difference between a klingon ship and a federation ship and it's a walkie talkie because <laughs> everything the guy says is is followed by over <laughs> and i love that he he keeps saying freen and she goes friend <laughs> the mispronunciations are awesome <laughs> And then, of course, they finish up with everybody giving a hearty Klingon laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Um, As you said, comedy gold. Right? Uh, we switch back to Rurapente, where they make a fire in ice with some kind of flare thing. Suddenly, they've got a campfire. And they realize, you know what? This is all too convenient. Maybe she's in on it. So Kirk accuses her. And what does she do? She admits it. He punches her and then she turns into Kirk. Which honestly, Iman turning into William Shatner. Yeah, you know what? There should have been a warning on this movie on right? that. That, that's, that is that's stuff sort of, of nightmares. That's, yeah, n- but, not cool. Not but cool. Then again, but, you know, they didn't give us a warning about the hot shat on shat action either. <laughs> <laughs> so her Bradley Nicholas Meyer was very worried about the uh the line, uh, I can't believe I kissed you. It must have been your lifelong ambition. Cause mm-hmm. he really did not think that Shatner would be down with it. And he was surprised that Shatner thought it was hilarious and, and oh, really wanted to do it. It's so funny, especially for, for Kirk as a character and Shatner as a guy. <laughs> um, 
just the 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 whole idea of like my ego is so big that I'd be like, yeah, yeah I'd hit that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm I'm one of those people that I'm like, you know, if I got to meet myself, nope, nope. <laughs> No interest whatsoever. That guy's gross. <laughs> I always love that thing. He's like, if you met your 10-year-old self, what would you say to them? It's like, I would slap him really hard and say, oh, if I met my 10-year-old self, I'd be like, "This is there's something you need to understand. It's called moisturizer. <laughs> this is a treadmill. Try it out. <laughs> so they, uh, they roll around and fight for a little while. And uh, all of a sudden, there is finally... A real Targ puppet. It's about damn time. No more poor dogs with horns strapped to their heads. I love it. And are done right. Surprise, surprise. She's a bad guy. And they all know, and all the other bad guys know where they're at. So, so much for the, so much for, and now we start to find out that the whole thing, Jim was right. The whole thing was a setup to begin with. Um, all right, so then we flash back to sick bay, not sick bay. We flash back to the conference room. No, what is it called? The observation deck, observation lounge. Oh, I can get words right if I try. So we flash back to the observation lounge, and this is where it's real obvious as the the observation lounge. Oh yeah, deep, big time. It's just like, why is he on a galaxy class ship all of a sudden? Well, and Scotty is for some reason looking at a schematic. Yes. Not, not even a schematic. It's like. It's like a schematic that was drawn for a placemat at Denny's. <laughs> and he's looking at that of the enterprise. And I'm like, you know what everything is on this ship. What do you, uh, anyway, but where he's sitting is captain Picard's seat. And they clearly use the same camera dolly to roll in and do this shot because it is absolutely a next generation shot. So he starts hearing ticking noises. He pulls, he finds the uh, the uh, uniforms are stuck inside the vent. Air vent, because of course in movies, the best best place to do anything is an air vent. Whether you need to access the entire building by crawling mm-hmm. through them or hiding something by stuffing things into them, air vents are just a just a uh, a bounty of usefulness in movies. When in real life, they're a pain in the ass to pull off. And once you do get them pulled off, trying to put them back on again is even worse. And usually there's no room for anything in there. Maybe, all, well, maybe all I'm, saying is, all I'm saying is I, I think it's past time that the Oscars did their tribute, a lifetime achievement award to air vents. I like it. So he runs and runs and says, Captain, Captain, I found the uniforms. And then the door opens and he goes, Captain, Captain, I found the guys who did it. Because they're, of course, <laughs> dead on the other side of a door for some reason immediately as soon as he finds anybody. Because they were shot with a phaser on stun at close range. Now, weren't we just told you can't fire an unauthorized phaser on the ship without everyone knowing about it? Maybe it's only if it's on kill. That's got to be it. Um, so I did stun have- away, everybody. Right. So I did love that um, to try to catch the killer, they did a PA announcement of please have the following crewmen come and talk about this or please, please send the, uh, was it the psychiatrist? The, it was the JAG, the judge, general or the, uh, it was a court reporter of some sort. 
The court reporter. That's what it was. Please send the court reporter to sick bay so that we can uh, investigate so we can get a statement from these two crewmen. I actually really liked this one. I, I thought it was a great ruse. Um, and then of course they show up and it's Spock and Kirk that are in the beds. Not, not actually the dead crewmen, of course. And of course you didn't bring any security with you. It's just the two of you, because again, you guys just don't think to include anybody else in your crew in anything. Oh, by the way, just do want to point out this is the first movie since the motion picture that we actually have a crew on the enterprise yep not kids not a skeleton crew not a computer running it we actually have a crew on the enterprise it's just just something that's you know oh absolutely i totally agree it was really nice to see um now this scene does of course have spock breaking down his his uh, vulcan shield because she points the gun at him and he's like shoot just do it just come on do it and then when she doesn't do it he slaps that gun out of her hand and i i'm sorry it's a great moment i love the line i do not want to what you want is relevant what you've chosen is at hand i love that line that's fantastic and and delivered with just absolute rage it was done really well unfortunately i found myself after the scene going that eh, would not have gone down that way <laughs> but it was so much fun to watch it would have been more understandable if we would have known they slept together there you go <laughs> so if it had been savage well she would have been pregnant no this is three years later she wouldn't be pregnant anymore anyway so what do they do with her? Well, there's only one thing to do. Take her to the bridge in front of an huge audience of people <laughs> and interrogate her. Because, you know, most people are going to confess in front of a large crowd. <laughs> right. This confession was filmed before a live studio audience. All right. So, of course, she's not giving up any information. So what are we going to do? That's right, folks. For the sixth time... It's a Vulcan mind meld. Yeah, this one oh. is uh, kind of uh, rapey. Thank you. I was going to say <laughs> the word, but I was trying to find a way to say it. No, I think that's. Ex- I don't think there's any other way to say it. So um, Nick Myrax even says afterwards that this it was too. In his mind, every time he uh, thinks of waterboarding, he thinks of this scene, and he kind of regrets doing it. I get that. I mean, when it when it first starts off, it's. It's like she's kind of submitting and is like, yeah, if you got to steal the info, then just steal the info. And then about halfway through it, it's like she's saying no. And he's like, well, I'm going to finish this. Yeah. And it, oof, it's rough. And you figure also the very last thing that Kirk asks is a question that she doesn't know. So how much did Spock go through in her brain before he figured out? Yeah, she doesn't know that. Right. And when they ask who's involved. It's everybody. (laughs) Everyone you've seen in the movie up to this point. Right. (laughs) If any of these people are actors you've ever seen before, they did it. (laughs) Christian Slater is the only innocent person in the entire thing. (laughs) No, he's not. (laughs) You know, he's walking around there with a revolver (laughs) filled with blanks. Incidentally, I'm trying to decide whether or not it's time to let the 13-year-old watch uh, uh, Heather's. 
might be a, a little rough still. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see your point on that. So they, they figure this out and and they start heading or they make a phone call. Oh, so so one thing just want to point out. Mm-hmm. Savick, before they do this whole thing, she makes a defense. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen it a number of times and it was never as scary as when I watched it this time because she is basically justifying it the violence to keep the state going oh it's almost the to keep to you know to keep the federation we have to burn the federation down type thing and it was just a weird weird um uh uh, had a weird poignancy in today's day and age when she's trying to justify no you are all you've abandoned the federation by trying to give up and trying to be peaceful and trying to Mm -hmm you know, be more open and be more tolerant. You're the ones destroying it. I'm, I'm trying to keep it pure and correct in the way it is. It's like, Oh, that is, that is just strangely poignant and, uh, and oh, relevant. This whole movie felt like that though. Like everything was just like, God, the way things are going right now, this is <laughs> really familiar. It's one of those things. History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Right. So they, uh, they they need to make a phone call because they don't know where they're going. So they call up Sulu and he's like, yeah, it's totally at Kittimer. Didn't you guys know that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's nice because we see that in, in NFL football, they have what's called coaching trees. A great coach will produce other coaches that will go on to be great coaches themselves. And this is where we start to see possibly what's the, the Kirk captaincy tree. Um, when you see that Sulu basically completely disregards orders because you know right. what? <laughs> who's going to stop me because you never have a ship even close to me because that's why I have to do half the things I have to do is because there's no other ships in the area. So maybe that's what happened to Christian Slater. He was learning how to be a captain from Sulu. <laughs> now he's like rules. I don't have to follow this. <laughs> Um, so they start heading over to Kittimer and, uh, when they're almost there, they run afoul of something. Suddenly their PA system lights up with Christopher Plummer's voice. <laughs> so I, I have a problem with this. This is the second time in this movie that alien ships have been able to broadcast over each other's PAs. The first time was, uh, the enterprise was broadcasting on the Klingon ship that they had just attacked. And now this one, the Klingon ship's about to attack, and he's like, guess what? I'm right here. You can't see me, but I'm here. I'm telling you, Bluetooth is just not secure. Right? <laughs> so they Bite me they, into the speakers. <laughs> so they take a pot shot at the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is like, whoa, there's something there. And they go into reverse. I laughed out loud as soon as they went into reverse. I was just like, this, why? What is the point of this? <laughs> But they brought it up in the movie and they were like, well, you know, it makes it look like you can see where they're at. And I was like, okay, all right. I didn't see that one coming. That's pretty good. And sure enough, General Chang is like, why are they going backwards? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. Right? If, you, if you're going up against a, a seasoned general, just do something crazy and stupid. And he'll be like, uh, I don't know what to do now. Wait, 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 wait. Let, let me get this straight. So you guys can't go up or down. Right. But backwards. Oh, yeah. You got that move just nailed. <laughs> so 
The other thing that I don't get is they're in a cloaked ship, right? But every time it fires a torpedo, we can see where the ship is. It lights up red. Nobody else can see that. I'm. This is my guess because I was thinking about that too. Thinking about the immensity of space because to quote Douglas Adams, space is really big. Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing that it wasn't there enough for them to be able to get any sort of lock and that he kept moving around. So I'll agree with that. But here's my guess. The Enterprise has maybe one or two computers on board. So I think, and this is just spitballing. I think maybe there's a possibility one of those computers could go, I just saw a torpedo there, phaser. (laughs) Oh, look, there's a torpedo there, phaser. I just, (laughs) it always drives me nuts. Anyway, but they had to come up with their really cool scene. (laughs) So after they go in reverse, they first off, they get hit by a torpedo. And we find out once again that for some reason, the Federation has built steam pipes through every bridge on every (laughs) ship. No idea why there's so much steam power on these ships. Again, that's that that's the dry cleaning. Oh, that's uh, what it is. It's the the laundry section. Okay. That's. That's directly underneath the bridge. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a hurry that comes up with the idea. The thing's got to have a tailpipe. Which it would have seemed that somebody must have thought of this before, but they hadn't. So thank God for Uhura. Well, here's, here's where my mind went, unfortunately. The only one that we know of on this crew who knows what a car is, is Kirk which means that at some point he was talking to her about the tailpipe. <laughs> and her is like, this thing's got to have a tailpipe, I guess. Thank you for the most disturbing aspect of this entire podcast. Well right. done. Bro. That's what I do. Don't worry. That's going to have to get cut. We're like three hours in now. Uh, they, they do a shot down to engineering. And now they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They are absolutely <laughs> on the bridge of the Enterprise D. They're, they're like, hey, did you see the plaque over here? Um, <laughs> so it shows them for some reason. I don't know why. They're not actually the ones working on the torpedoes, but whatever. And so then they go and do surgery on the torpedo. I They kept dropping these surgical terms like, oh, I can see the heart. Oh, I, I've got a heartbeat now. I'm like, <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, this seemed a little. It's like, so you have no weapons experts on the Enterprise at right? all. So your second captain slash science officer and your chief medical officer. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> just, but, and, and on top of it, you also have the enemy piped in to the torpedo bay so you can hear him ranting constantly because it does lead to one of my favorite lines in the entire franchise. I'd pay real money if he'd shut up. <laughs> Dr. Well, McCoy, once again, just... If they could secure the damn PA system, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> so they put together their, their missile, which is looking for gases exiting the ship. It always seemed to occur to me that if you're looking for a cloaked ship, wouldn't just a straight up heat seeking missile work? It, it would seem so. Of course, I'm not sure the cold vacuum of space. Hmm. Right. 
cold vacuum yeah, to space and but any do, machine do impulse do impulse engines give off heat um i i, I don't know you could set it to 98.6 degrees and look for the people because <laughs> they're going to stick out like a sore thumb in the void of space i mean at some point the the skin of that ship's got to be a little bit warmer little than bit everything warmer else than, yeah yeah one would think but if they're if you're trying to use infrared still they're bending light infrared's mm, light good point all right tailpipe it is we're going to call that the Uhura special <laughs> um so they fire the the missile it goes around like in all these crazy ways somehow still manages to shoot them right in the bridge which every missile always does um not before uh he uh launches another torpedo and says his very best line cry havoc and let's let's slip the dogs (laughs) so good And then his torpedo lands and blows up the observation deck. Yeah, and, and uh, this is a, now a surprise because usually Nicholas Meyer would like to throw in the, as I mentioned in that one episode, the horrors of war. Usually we would see some people blown up as well. This time he did more property damage. We didn't see as many people burst into flames. That is true, but I think it has more to do with the fact that he actually played with the Z-axis. Because they fired that torpedo straight through the disc, which True. was actually yes. a really cool shot. Yes, it was of the of the uh, following the uh, the torpedo all the way up to the the ship and through the yep through the saucer. Yes, that said, right. the observation deck that they hit had windows, and that thing went right through the middle of the disc. There were so no I'm, windows that got hit there. I'm guessing that the torpedo hit the fireworks uh storage bay oh that makes sense and that just blew out the entire front so that that they're probably pretty close to you know fourth of july or federation day or first contact or something so well uh, nobody celebrates first contact day so so maybe it was captain picard day (laughs) (laughs) And, and why don't people celebrate first contact well I don't know. We'd have to ask uh, Janeway because she's the one who said nobody celebrates it. Yeah, the, the, that's one of those things that people who don't celebrate it tell you. Oh, no, that's no, true. Nobody does this. No, I'm a, I'm <laughs> Orthodox uh, First Contact Day. Uh, <laughs> and then Kirk gets to fire his crazy missile, and he does the con fire. Fire. Yes, and Nicholas, Nicholas Meyer does the whole zoom right into him that that zoom that shot right into shatner gets to deliver the line and yes he does and the crowd goes wild and of course we fire with both the excelsior and the enterprise all over the the ship and kill everybody woohoo klingons are dead we better get to kittimer (laughs) so they get to kittimer or well we flash to kittimer now here's the part that bugs me there's a guy sitting in the audience who stands up in the middle of this speech, picks up a giant briefcase <laughs> that has a gun in it and walks upstairs and positions himself in a window. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at least the humans have had some experience with this kind of thing and are going to be like, you know, sir, we need to look inside your briefcase before you sit down with <laughs> diplomats from every species in the Federation. 
I'm, what I'm sure was it's like, that. <laughs> well, yeah, it just seemed kind of odd when after assassination attempt, you would uh, probably have the most heightened security you could think of. Right. At the secret location. <laughs> and, and depending on which edit of this movie you watch, this is either a Klingon or a, or a human Rene Abergenois disguised as a Klingon. Um, but yes, very good point. Why would anybody question a guy with a big briefcase just heading upstairs? Um, right. <laughs> I mean, nobody could shoot through a window, right? There's glass there. Right. I mean, it's not like he's, <laughs> he could cut a hole in it or anything. Oh, wait. So we he goes upstairs. Guarding that? No, nobody's going to shoot through glass. That's, that's insane. That would ruin the window. What are you now, thinking? We do get the wonderful movie trope of assassin putting together his his uh, rifle. Oh yes, yes, right? yes, yes. I mean, geez, Louise, it was very hackneyed, <laughs> but I mean, still fun. Cuts a little hole in the glass, and he lines up his shot. And then what happens? Not only can we sneak an assassin in with a briefcase gun, but now an entire crew from the Enterprise <laughs> can beam in with guns loaded. <laughs> and everybody's like instead of waving oh, around we should have thought of that one. Oh crap <laughs> uh, it was good stuff and then somehow scotty got upstairs i i don't see james Duhan running a uh you know one minute mile to get upstairs to prevent that shot but somehow he does and he gets up there and pushes the guy out the window i mean shoots him no he didn't push him i swear um and then he goes flying and dies and first, first we, he gets one shot off because we get to Kirk to right. do the, uh, the great leap, uh, grabbing Mr. the president, president. and you, know, <laughs> you get the fire and then you get the, uh, the, the, the very cliche, uh, line Kirk enterprise, you know, and, right. Which um, that's one of those ones is like, you just get the feeling that Shatner wrote that one. No, no, it'll be great guys right oh really president's <laughs> like you realize half of my job is dealing with you right <laughs> let me guess uh, you stole a ship to get here <laughs> too soon <laughs> so um sulu beams in they stopped the uh let's see they stopped uh spock stops cartwright mm-hmm. um yeah, who does? Uh, oh, they stopped the uh, the, Romulan? the Romulan. Yeah, I think you're right. No, I'm close. So anyway, they scoop everybody up and they just kind of gather them there and don't really talk to them at all. Don't tell them they're arrested. Don't take them away. <laughs> they just stand there for a sec. And Kirk gives a monologue. Hey, everybody. I just saved the day. So let me tell you what's great about this universe and what's great about me. <laughs> it's a federation that runs on us. <laughs> the federation was inside us all along. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So he, the, he gives the little speech and then he stands up and everyone just stands up on the stage and everyone starts clapping. It was just like, Oh, wait, wait, wait. It gets better though. They, they scan over and they look at, at Kamarag and Kamarag is still looking there. Like this is BS. I am not buying this crap. This guy needs to be in prison. And then everybody else starts applauding. And so he's like, mm, and he does this weird stiff clap. Like I'm still not buying this crap. Well, you know, Kamarag's always been a never Kirker. 
<laughs> so to your point, everybody's applauding. The entire crew gathers on the podium under a spotlight and the president steps aside. <laughs> they all just pose. Thank you for your applause. Thank you. Thank you for your applause. Like, oh my God. And then after that's all said and done, what do they do? They go back to the enterprise and they get ordered immediately. You're going to be decommissioned. You guys are all too old. Go home. Now, are the they, the officers, going to be decommissioned or is the enterprise going to be decommissioned? Yes. <laughs> because if it's the enterprise, this plays into my theory that the NCC 1701A was not a brand new ship. It was a retread that they hoisted off on him because they just felt like getting him out of the way because otherwise that ship would only be about seven years old. I mean, in all fairness, it really was just an experimentation platform. They were trying out new designs that were going to be used for the next century. I can, I can buy that. That's why all the transporter room and the observation deck and, <laughs> and the, everything looked very futuristic. Um, <laughs> well, why do you have just... a big empty room here? Well, it's not because we'll someday have a holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, this is not a bar. I swear. Not a bar. President of the Federation hangs out in a bar. <laughs> this is this is not a holodeck. This is an imaginarium <laughs> or an imaginatorium. Or the dreamatorium. Dreamatorium. <laughs> Welcome to the dreamatorium. Don't open that closet. <laughs> so they tell him that he needs to decommission, and she replies back with, uh, Spock does the little, you know." I believe my response would be go to hell. Go to hell. Yes. Because he, he has one last chance to use the colorful metaphor. And then I'm pretty sure Nicholas Meyer decided to flip the bird at Shatner <laughs> by giving him the best line that best describes Kirk of all time second star to the right and straight on till morning. <laughs> Could we be any more blatant about his Peter Pan complex? <laughs> So good. And thus ends Star Trek Six, The Undiscovered Country, which this would basically wrap it up for the original crew. Thought a it, really good send-off, a, a, an excellent send-off. Absolutely. I totally agree. This is this is definitely the way to shut it down. Um, the this this crew had really they 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 all managed to stay together. Everybody managed to stick it out through all the movies, no matter how much infighting there was, no matter how many <laughs> issues there were, they stuck it out and they didn't have to have a bitter ending. And I just, I think that's really, that's a really good point. Was, yeah. It was great for the whole series. No, this was a, this was an excellent way to, this is probably my favorite of the original, uh, actually of all the Star Trek movies, this is probably my favorite. It just moves so well. Um, very well written. It is. It does have some silly parts to it, but uh, but the story moves along at such a pace that you don't get stuck on them for too for too long, and we don't have a point where the movie drags ever. I mean, the the story oh, just no. keeps on moving forward. It is a good very comedy, fast good paced movie. Effects. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest. When I was taking notes for this, I had a hard time keeping up because it was just so fast paced. Yeah, I, I was I was pausing a lot just because there was there was so much going along uh, going on and moving so fast. So I really give Nicholas Meyer came in for this last one and and did a really great job. Absolutely. 
Uh, well, that wraps it up for this. Uh, definitely think people should go out and see it. It's a fantastic flick. Oh, yes. Um, so coming up on our next episode, we're going to be jumping into the next generation universe. This is either an epilogue to the original cast movies or it's a prologue to the TNG movies, but we're going to get to see Picard and Kirk together. Yep. Bridge the gap. Uh, guess what? It's an odd number movie. but we get to meet john harriman more for that later (laughs) that is true all right so i'd like to say thank you to five-year mission for the use of their song for their song beam down for our intro and our outro thank you Uh, please make sure to check them out at fiveyearmission.net for many many albums and many many songs they are really really great stuff and with that everyone have a good week have a good week all 2016